You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Bible with you if you'll make your way to Philippians chapter 2. We're returning to Philippians chapter 2. This is where we were last week. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. We are in our series, our Advent series. We're calling Christmas Year Around Cultivating Christ-like Virtues. I want to begin by reading God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the preaching of His Word. Well, this morning as we consider yet another Christ-like virtue in light of the Incarnation, I want to begin with a question. Here's the question. Is there a connection between how Christ came into the world and in the way in which we should view servanthood? Let me ask that question again. Is there a connection between how Christ came into the world and the way in which we should view servanthood? And the answer is absolutely. See, these two concepts are so intricately connected, I want to suggest this morning that servanthood is central to the message of the gospel. Servanthood is central to the message of the gospel. See, we must view servanthood in light of the incarnation, and we must view servanthood in light of the message of the gospel. Of the gospel. When we disconnect those two, when we disconnect the incarnation and we disconnect the message of the gospel from the call to serve as Christians, one of the following attitudes will be present in our serving. I want to give you just some some categories, some headings that I borrowed from a man by the name of John Henley who wrote. A, a wonderful little book called Serving Without Sinking. And he gave these as categories that, that really kind of describe maybe our approach to suffering. Here's the first one. 
A servant is who I have to be. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. A servant is who I have to be. And what he means by that and what I mean by that is a servant is who you are because the, the, the situation and the circumstances of your life have forced you to be there. It's not like you chose to be a servant. Maybe things are happening in your life. Maybe you're a caretaker. Maybe roles and situations have forced you every day to just serve. And over time, you're aware that your serving has not only become wearisome, it's become burdensome and joyless. That's one of the ways we could describe our service. Here's another one. A servant is who you are. By this, what we mean is a servant is who you are in the sense that it makes you feel important and needed by serving. There's a sense of gratification that you get in people asking you for help. It almost shapes your identity. You are aware that people kind of look to you as that person will ask them, they'll serve you. And as much as you like serving, more than you like serving, you love the fact that people need you to serve them. Oh, there's another category. A servant is who you would like to be known as. Maybe you are serving. But no one seems to notice. No one ever expresses Gratitude. They don't make much of it, and this has left you feeling bitter and unappreciated. Oh, you serve. You just wish other people saw it. And every once in a while said thank you. But because they don't, serving has become something that has made you bitter. Or maybe you're here this morning, and a servant is who God demands that you be. You serve because you believe that's what God demands. If you, if you serve, it's because serving pleases God and you want to please God. And when you don't serve, you feel guilty. And so you realize, I better serve. Because I, I don't want to displease God. And maybe if I serve well, I'll be on His good side. Or lastly, maybe this one describes you, a servant is not who you need to be. Now maybe you wouldn't articulate it this way, but you believe because of the gospel, you're free to do as you choose. So you think, you know what? I'm far more comfortable and even happier when I avoid all the hassles involved in serving. Can you see yourself in one or more of these descriptions? Maybe that's not perfectly describes you. Maybe one of them nails it. Maybe you can find yourself in several. The reason I wanted to start out this way is, is because of the point the author was seeking to make in sharing these. And that's that the, these attitudes in serving matter. See, the point I want to make at the beginning of this this message this morning on the virtue of servanthood is this. Motives matter when it comes to serving. Motives matter and listen, our motives determine the emotional payoff. 
Our motives matter when serving. And depending on our motives, we could end up with joy or guilt. Burnout or frustration or bitterness. Friends, I'm convinced that reflecting on the incarnation of Christ, it reorients our perspective on serving and it reinvigorates us to serve with greater joy. That's the point I want to drive home this morning in this message. Reflecting on the incarnation, it reorients our perspective on serving and it reinvigorates us to serve with greater joy. Now I want to break down our message into two parts this morning, and here's our outline. If you're taking notes, point number one, Christ came to serve us. Point number two, we're called to be servants. Let's begin with point number one, Christ came to serve us. Let's let's return to that statement I made at the beginning of the message. Do you remember it? I said, serving is central to the message of the gospel. And I believe we we should believe that's true. All of us should believe that is true. that, That serving is central to the message of the gospel. And one of the reasons we should believe that is that there are key passages of Scripture that make this point. There are key passages of Scripture that tell us Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. That's where we have to start today. Not by thinking, okay, how how do we need to serve? we got to start with the message of the gospel. And here's what the message of the gospel tells us. Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. And his ultimate expression of service was his sacrificial death on the cross to atone for our sins. Look again at Philippians chapter 2. I think it makes this point. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here unpacking these verses because... If you weren't with us last week, this is the text we were in. So I did a lot of the the work of explaining all that was being said here. So I just want to point out a few things. And here's the the main thing I, I want to point out. That Philippians 2 makes this point that Jesus came to serve and not be served. Look again at verses 6 through 8. It says, Who, Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Consider this. Think about those those three verses and what they're communicating. Even though Jesus was God, we're told at the incarnation, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And He humbled Himself by becoming a what? A servant. The word actually there is slave. Though He was God, He didn't act as God. He took on the persona and the role of a servant. And He did this by taking on flesh, we're told, and and becoming like us. And why did He do that? In order to die on the cross to save us from our sins. 
And because he assumed the posture of a servant, look what happens in verses 9 through 11. He's highly exalted. Now, I explained this last week, but I think it, it, it needs to be repeated. It's not what's going on here. Is Paul's not saying Jesus started out his life in humiliation and ended in exaltation. It's saying the reason for Jesus' exaltation was due to his humiliation. See, Jesus demonstrated his lordship. That's what's happening in verses 9 through 11. Jesus will be called Lord. Why will he be called Lord? That everyone in all of the earth and under the earth and in the heavens, everyone will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Why will they call him Lord? Because he became a servant. The first title Jesus had was not Lord. It doesn't mean he wasn't Lord. And this passage isn't saying he became Lord. He was Lord. But the first thing that everybody recognized about him wasn't his Lordship. It was he's a servant. That we would hold God in our hands as we just heard a minute ago. He would be born in this tiny town to this teenage mother and born in such sad circumstances among the animals. That displays His Lordship. But the ultimate expression of His Lordship is that He was born so that He could die. And that's why every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is not just a point that the Apostle Paul makes here in Philippians 2. It's actually the thing that Jesus said in Mark chapter 10. So we're going to come back to Philippians 2, but I want to invite you to look over now at Mark chapter 10. Because this, this is the point Jesus made to His disciples that He came to not be served, but to serve. Look at Mark chapter 10. I want to look at verses 42 through 44, but here's the context, verses 35 and 37. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to Him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's pretty bold. <laughs> and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Let's skip down to verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. Stop there for just a moment. Think about what Jesus is doing. James and John, in a very ambitious and precocious kind of way, just say, hey, Jesus, can we just ask you something? And you say, yes. <laughs> Jesus, what is it you want? 
when you finally arrive in your kingdom, can we like be clear where, where your right hand and left hand man? And Jesus had other things to say to them up to the point that we started reading. But did you notice what Jesus did? Jesus reoriented their thinking about authority and leadership and greatness. It's as if he said to them, guys, if you want to be treated like you're great, you must assume the lowest place in order to serve those you have authority over. In other words, guys, if you want to rule, you got to be a slave. That's not how the world works. But Jesus says, in my kingdom, everything gets reversed. Now that's, that's a wild claim. Why would Jesus say this? Verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about what Jesus just said. Now do you see why serving is central to the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel hinges on Jesus becoming a servant in order to save us. And, and listen, that, this has important implications for us. We, we, we must not start talking about servanthood without just fixing our eyes on Christ and His role as a servant. Because here's what happens. When, when we don't get this, we're, we're in danger. So what do we take away from the fact that the gospel is our servanthood is central to the message of the gospel that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. Here's what we understand. We don't get right with God or we don't stay right with God by serving people in need and by doing enough good deeds that hopefully outweigh our bad ones. Friends, let's be very clear on the message of Christmas because there, there is a message that the culture is telling us about what Christmas is about. Apart from Santa Claus, where there is even talk of a, a silent night and away in a manger. And it's Jesus who came to Bethlehem. Here, here is the secular message of Christmas. Jesus came to earth to do God, good to others, so you go and do likewise. Friends, that is not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is this. Jesus came to serve us by meeting our greatest need. And He met that need when He took on flesh in order to become our substitute. He died in our place for our sins so that we don't receive what we deserve from God. Praise God. That's the message of Christmas. It's not Jesus came to be a really good guy and, and to do wonderful things. Now you go and do the same and that makes you right with God. No, Jesus came to save us from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God that we deserve. And when we grasp the meaning of the incarnation and when we regularly rehearse it year round, not just in the month of December, 
But when we rehearse it year round and we understand what it means, you know what it does? It reorients our perspective on serving and it reinvigorates us to serve with greater joy. That's the point of this entire series to see that there are virtues we are called as Christians to cultivate. And we start out by cultivating them, not by saying, okay, what are the points of application? How do I do this? We start by beholding Christ in all of His glory. And we begin by looking at Bethlehem. And then we look at Golgotha. And we say, that's the way God does things. It's not the way the world does things. That's, that's not the way the world puts a ruler on the throne and displays power. But that's the way our great God has chosen to save us. And when we, when we get that, listen, it, it does something to us. And in this context, when, when we focus on the incarnation year round, it reorients our perspective on serving and it reinvigorates us to serve with greater joy. And you know what? On the flip side, when we fail to remember the message of the gospel... When we fail to remember that we don't serve Jesus, He came to serve us, you know what happens? We allow our serving to shape our identity. We allow our serving to shape our identity. You know what starts our identity as believers? Our identity as believers is not, first of all, servants. Our identity of believers of those who have been served. It's the humbling message that our great God has served us. Now, though we had to start here, it's the only place to rightly start by focusing on Christ. We, we can't just look here and forget that though Christ came to serve... We're called to follow the example of Christ and the Savior. So let's take just a few minutes and consider what it looks like now for us to serve as those who've been served by Christ. So this is our second point. We are called to be servants. Don't get it wrong. Just because Christ came to serve us, we're still called to be servants. Think about this for just a moment. Think about all that we've just heard, if a fundamental part of Christ's identity was that of a servant. That's what Philippians 2 is telling us. A fundamental part. It's not just that Jesus, you know, he happened to serve because everybody needs to serve a little bit and Jesus, you know, being perfect served. A fundamental part of his identity. The reason he was exalted as the Lord over all was because he was a servant. If, if that's a fundamental part of his identity, shouldn't we conclude that as followers of Christ, a fundamental part of our identity should be that of servant? See, go back to Philippians 2 again. And think about these words from verses 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now think about what's being communicated here. Last week, we looked at this passage to talk about the virtue of humility and how Christ displays humility. And we could think that all that's happening here is that we're to- being told, be humble just like Christ was humble. But we have to stop and think about this. How do we know he was humble? The only way we know he was humble, he expressed his humility. And how did he express it? As a servant. When we started last week with humility... And now we move on to servanthood because a primary way in which we express humility is by serving. So one of the ways we we know whether we can gauge whether humility is at work in our life is by seeing, do, do I have a servant's mindset? Do I have that kind of mindset? See, that's what we're called to have in verse 5. We're called to have the mindset of Christ. Christ became a servant. Now, to give some application and some very practical things to do, I want to commend to you not only that we reflect on Christ, who's the ultimate servant, but I want to encourage us all to study Paul's example. And I want to do this for two reasons. Look back at Philippians 1.1. Notice how Paul begins this letter. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. We think, well, that was just Paul and Timothy. What about chapter 3, verse 17? Brothers and sisters, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, in this letter, we not only have Christ as servant exemplar, the perfect servant, but we see the Apostle Paul demonstrating what it looks like to serve and calling others to serve. So just by studying this one letter alone, the letter of Philippians, we we learn a lot about servanthood. So how do then we cultivate this mindset of Christ-like servanthood? Let's begin with the obvious, okay? Let's begin with the obvious, but the obvious is often the one that we neglect and that we need the most, right? I I don't know about you. Most of the time, I don't need new truths. I just need to do what I already know. I don't think I'm alone in that. So let's get to the obvious. Here's the obvious. Without reading it again, think about what the Apostle Paul just said in verses 3 through 4. Being a servant requires us to be others-focused more than we're focused on ourselves. Now that's... Once again, probably not a revolutionary truth to you. So here's the question. How are you doing with that? I 
I mean, I doubt anybody's reading three and four and saying, wow, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Put the interest of others over yourself. Hopefully you're not. You have far greater issues if that is new to you or shocking or surprising. But I think we can all read that and say yes and amen. And we love it when we see it in other people. But we often fail to live this out. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you a few diagnostic questions to help you gauge whether you have a servant mindset. One of the first steps of application is evaluation. So let's evaluate for just a second. Here's the first question that helps you get at, do you really do do three and four? Do I really do three and four? Here, Here it is. Do you serve without being asked? Do you serve without being asked? Do you regularly think, how can I serve others to bless them? Not because they've told me, but because I'm looking. Think about the example of Christ here. If Jesus came as a servant, was His serving spontaneous or planned from the beginning of time? If we're to have the mindset of Christ, shouldn't we do the same? Plan to serve? Now, obviously, things come up. People need something. Last minute, we we jump in. We help. But if the only time we're serving is because we're told to or asked to, friends, that's not a servant mindset. See, right now, you may be serving all day long because of your role, because of your position, due to the season of life you're in, but don't confuse have to with want to. So here's what I've learned. I've I've learned this from others, and friends, I hesitate to share this from my own life because anytime I talk about myself, usually it's always... To say how I have failed. And let me tell you, I fail at this all the time. There is much selfishness in me. But I have learned a practice that I have learned from other men that have passed this on regularly, weekly, not perfectly, not every day. I'm thinking, how can I serve other people? Starting with, how can I serve my wife? I don't just wait for her now. There's plenty of things she has to say, Josh, could you do this? And I wish I could stand up here and tell you this morning. I'm like, yes! You know, the game is on. Could you take out the trash? I wish I could just say, I'm going to say, yes, honey, I would love to do that. So there's much selfishness in me, but I I regularly seek because I was taught this by others. I, I regularly think in my week, are there ways I can serve my wife to bless her? I think about my three children, and at the beginning of my week, I think, are there ways I can serve them? Now, some days that might mean that I'm serving all three of them. Some days it might be that one of them has a greater need and they get my service. And the next day, another one gets more of my service because they have a greater need. But what I'm doing is I'm trying to cultivate. I'm not just waiting to be asked. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful posture and habit. 
I want to encourage you, starting with your marriage, starting with your parenting, moving then to other maybe members of your household, to your friends and to other members of this church. Are you regularly in your planning as you get up on Monday morning, you look at your schedule, you think about all the things you got to do. Are you just doing what you're doing because it's in front of you? Are you thinking, okay, who am I going to intentionally seek out and bless? Who am I going to serve? And that might mean I am going to send someone a text to encourage them. I'm going to ask someone, hey, can I jump in and do this for you? Once again, not just because they've asked, but because you're looking to serve them. So that's the first question. Do you serve without being asked? Here's the second one. This has got two layers to it. Let's talk about the top layer. Are you happy when you serve? It's one thing to serve, but a servant's mindset Are you happy when you serve? Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. If his ultimate act of serving was the cross, he didn't do it begrudgingly. Oh, he did it with all the pain and the horror of receiving both the punishment of man and the just punishment of God the Father, and yet he did it with joy. So are you happy when you serve? Now that's just the top of the iceberg. Let's, let's get down to the nitty-gritty under the, under the surface, and let me ask you this question. Is joy abounding in your day-to-day activities? Do you lack joy? Here's why I ask you that question. Here's what I've discovered in my own life. Most days, when I am most, when I'm least joyful, it's due to the fact that I'm too self-focused instead of focused on others. Now, our flesh says, the reason you're unhappy is nothing went your way, nobody will do anything for you, and I just need some me time. And guess what? You would think by now we, we, would, we would pick up on that lie. Because we get our little bit of me time and things go better. And guess what? You would think we would be satisfied. Do you know when I'm most satisfied? When my eyes aren't on me. When my day is full from the start to the finish doing things that bless other people. Oh, I may be exhausted. Yes, I have to regularly throughout the day, just like you do, confess and stop grumbling. And remember, this is a blessing. But you know, at the end of the day, I lay in my bed. I didn't have any of my me time. But I lay in the bed and said, today was a good day. Right? So are you happy serving in His joy abounding in your day-to-day activities. So that's the first thing I want to pass on to you is that we ask ourselves that question, are we others oriented instead of just self-focused? Here's the second thing, and we see this once again from looking at Paul's example in his letter to Philippians. Do you view serving as an act of worship? It's amazing to me, Paul does this twice in his letter to the church at 
at Philippi, he, he says these things. Listen to chapter 2, verse 17. In this context, he's talking about serving them. And listen to the language he uses. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. The Apostle Paul is suffering for their sake. And guess what he does? He incorporates Old Testament language and says, I'm like a drink offering and I'm being poured out on the offering for you. He's serving in a way that he actually sees as worship. It's not just I'm serving you. What I'm doing, it, it, it's, like a, it's like an offering to the Lord. Is that the way we view serving? This is not the only time he does this. Later on in chapter 4, verse 18, he points to their example. They served him in a time of need. He had financial needs. He had material needs. And they met it. And listen to what he says. I received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When he served them, he said, may my service to you be like a sacrifice. And when he was in material need, and this church which was struggling, took time to meet his need, send Epaphroditus who nearly died to get to the Apostle Paul. Paul doesn't just say, thank you. He said, you know what your service was? It's like a fragrant offering to the Lord. Is that how we view serving? Think about the words of Luke chapter 1, verse 38. We heard it in our call to worship today. Mary says, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you know how many times in the opening chapters of Luke's gospel... People are talked about in worship as serving. Do you know how many times that word is used in the Old Testament? The word for worship, one of the words for worship that's used regularly throughout the Old Testament actually means to serve. So why in the New Testament have we lost that sense? Well, we shouldn't because Romans 12, 11, the Apostle Paul writes, Don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent. In spirit, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. How do we serve the Lord? The Lord doesn't need anyone to serve Him as if He needs something. Acts chapter 17. So how do we serve the Lord? We serve the Lord as an act of worship by serving others. But we serve as an act of worship. Now before I move to the final point of application, I just want to take a moment to thank all of you who not only serve in countless ways the body of Christ week in, week out, throughout the week, but I want to thank those who serve in various ways on Sunday mornings. If you serve on Sunday mornings, I just I want to express my gratitude to you. Because of your sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice, because of your sacrifice, we benefit. And we are able to worship the Lord in rich and meaningful ways because of your service. 
So whether you are on the greeting team, you serve in the children's ministry, the security team, the praise team, serve in the back with the overhead and the, and the sound. You serve in any form or way. I want to thank you. And I, I think it would be appropriate if that's you, and I know there are people that serve in other ways outside of Sunday morning. If that's you, if you serve in any way, even, in, even if it's not every Sunday, would you just stand? I want everybody to see. Everybody, if you, don't be, don't be bashful. Everybody that serves in any kind of capacity, children's ministry, you serve on the greeting team, you serve on the security team. Thank you guys for serving. And can I just say this? Thank you for serving as an expression of worship. You don't serve because it's your duty. You serve to please the Lord. And we as a church are stronger because of that, and we get to benefit. The last and final thing, going back to Romans 12, 11, here's, here's the other thing we are to do. If we're going to have this, cultivate this servant mindset, we must serve the Lord with zeal. Romans 12, 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So the way we serve the Lord matters. Don't be slothful in zeal. You know what the opposite of zeal is? Spiritual apathy. It's a topic I've been giving much attention to. It's actually a topic that we've been addressing in our youth ministry for months now. We've been in a teaching series on this topic of spiritual apathy. I think it affects more of us than we are aware of. And the opposite of being slothful, or to be slothful in zeal, is to be apathetic. Actually, we're going to come to this topic even when we return to Luke, and we come to chapter 12. So, I don't feel compelled to say a lot here. Let me just say this. If we want to serve the Lord with zeal, we must pay far more attention to the state of our heart when serving instead of just focusing so much on the work of our hands. See, serving isn't just about the work of our hands. If we're to serve the Lord with zeal, we must make sure that we're taking care of the state of our hearts. Am I, am I giving attention to my heart that the reason I'm serving is I'm serving the Lord and I'm doing it with zeal, with a fervent spirit? And listen, the best way to stir up zeal is by being captivated by the Savior who took on the form of a servant in order to serve us by becoming our sin-bearing substitute. So there's many ways we can combat spiritual apathy. There's many ways we can grow in zeal. Here's the one I want to leave you with this morning. The best way we can stir up zeal in regards to serving the Lord is to be captivated by Jesus Christ who took on the form of a servant in order to serve us by dying in our place for our sin as our 
substitute. So here is our assignment as we leave here today. And it goes back to the last few weeks as we've looked at other virtues. The best way we can cultivate all of these virtues is not just by simply thinking about how do I apply these. The most important thing we can do during this season and into the new year is that we are captivated by Christ. That we don't get caught up in the sentiment of Christmas and mangers and hot chocolate and carols and presents and family time. And we forget, we forget that God took on the form of a servant to serve us so that we, we could be called children of God. That is the meaning of Christmas. And may that compel us to want to emulate the Savior and serve others well. Let's pray. Father, would you write this truth on our heart? And we ask for your help because we are fully aware how selfish we are. And we need reminders like Philippians 2, 3 through 4, that tell us to do nothing out of rivalry or ambition or conceit, but to seek others and their interest above our own. Lord, it's one thing to re- read those words, it's another thing to recognize what they mean, it's another thing, Lord, to live them out in light of the gospel. Lord, would you help us, now that we've heard what we've heard, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And Lord, I pray over the next few days leading up to Christmas, we will be far more aware of the gift.